Hi, and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. This episode is a big one for us. We welcome U.S. soccer legend Jay Demerit. Jay played his college soccer at University of Illinois, Chicago, and then decided and committed to pursuing his goal of becoming a professional footballer in Europe. We get into what he went through to finally see that happen for Watford FC. He was instrumental in them being promoted to the English Premier League, he scored a fantastic goal in their promotion match, and became captain at the club and became a beloved player. He built on that experience and made the U.S. national team. They bagged some legendary victories and competed in the 2010 World Cup. The next step of his career is becoming the captain of the Vancouver Whitecaps in the MLS. Now retired from competition, Jay focuses on ventures that benefit youth and their development. Our conversation ranges from his recruiting story, his playing career, and how his program, Rise and Shine, truly is doing great things for kids. Justin Chesham, the men's coach at Christopher Newport University, and I were privileged to have him on the podcast, and we're certain that you'll enjoy the conversation. As always, please share the podcast, subscribe, and send me your questions and comments through matchplay.com. Also, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, AJ, I, um, I wore this shirt specifically for you. I got the green for Green Bay. You know, you grew up in Green Bay. I got the, the American flag. You represented our country. And then you played soccer in Chicago. And I'm, unfortunately for you, maybe we're going to talk a little trash. I'm a diehard Bears fan, buddy. So uh, I don't know if we're if we're gonna have a different conversation now or what. But uh, not that we've been a threat to you for about two minutes. Field right now for us. Let's just lay our flags out on the ground right now. But it's been it's been going on for 20 years now, ever since my UIC days. So uh, you know, all my all my buddies in Chicago are all Bears fans. So it's uh you know, we've had 20 years of grace, of, you know, beating you guys up. So, again, you deserve a few years. If these are the years, we'll take it. But I don't know. I think Jordan Love might have a season. We'll see. You know, I, I think that Bears fans are going to be making a mistake. And they made the same mistake with Aaron Rodgers where they're like, oh, Brett Favre's gone. You know, now it's it's our turn. Aaron, Aaron's not the guy. And I feel like they're doing the same thing with Jordan Love. And I'm kind of sitting back like, why don't we just wait and see? Those guys have uh, had some pretty good quarterback play for, you know, going on like three, four decades now. Why don't we just see exactly how good this kid is before we start, you know, annoying the, uh, the Bears, the new kings of the north. So, 100%. Well, it's yeah. like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, you spent some time in Chicago. Uh, your college career was in Chicago. Um, so since this is kind of a recruiting podcast, uh, talk about your recruiting story and how you ended up at University of Illinois, Chicago. Yeah, so I, my, my story starts in Green Bay. I, I was a, a, a multi-sport athlete. Both my parents were gym teachers and coaches. And so I kind of grew up in this. And so was my my grandpas and grandmas. And so I kind of come from this, the, these kind of longer line of like, you know, educators, but usually sport built. And so, you know, I played all sports. I played basketball till I was 18. I ran track. My dad was the, was the track coach and was a decathlete at the national level. And so track was kind of the way that I grew up. I grew up at the, around the track and, 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 and high school kids everywhere and like looking up to the older kids. And 
you know, that was kind of my upbringing. And I had an older brother. He was three years older than me. And so I was kind of always looking up. And, and in a way, that was that was a good way to kind of start to create the code of, of resilience and, and, and what you expect is hard and all these kind of things I think that I was very accustomed to at a young age, but, you know, always was supported. And I think that's one of the things that we do a lot in the development is, you know, we want constructive criticism. We want feedback. And nowadays, it's hard because people take it so personally. But when you take feedback, but you have support on the other side, it becomes something totally different. And, and, and I think that's the biggest problem with youth development now is like we're giving criticism, but we're not giving that support on the backside. And I think that that's, that that's fundamentally not how you give criticism. And I think, you know, I grew up in an environment that was, I'm not going to say overly critical, but again, it was like, well, what'd you think about that game? I thought last game when you scored, you were doing this and now you're not doing that. And so we, we can understand why that result happened. You know, it's like that kind of idea was something that I built, was built from. And, as I got to kind of get, get into my own, you know, 17, 18 years old, you start thinking about options and you go, okay, what are my options? And so for me, as a kid from Green Bay, Wisconsin, you know, I didn't have a ton of options. I could either stay in Green Bay. I had one scholarship offer, one at the D1 level in soccer. And that was to my hometown university, University of Wisconsin, Green Bay, great division one school, taking nothing away from my hometown. I love Green Bay. It's, it's my heart, but I was a kid that wanted to leave. And I always say this a lot. You're a kid that wants to do one or the other for the most part. You either want to get out of the house and go test your waters and get away from mom and dad for a second. And it's not just that. It's Or, or it's like you love where you live. You love your friends. Your family's all there. You'd love to go represent your hometown at your hometown university. Both are great options, in, in all honesty. It's just what do you feel like? What do you, what do you, what, what's inside of you and where do you want to go? And so I started looking at options for what I wanted to go to college for, because at that point I didn't think I would, I wasn't in the realm to go pro. I wasn't in the realm to do, to do anything professionally yet. And so for me, school was even more important. It was like, okay, well, what do I want to go to school for? Cause eventually that's what I'll have to do. So uh, my, my older brother had a friend that was, that went to industrial design school. So I used to see his models and his drawing desk. And I saw that UIC in Chicago, the same conference as UWB uh, at the time, had a, uh, a design program. So I was like, ooh, UIC. And so my, again, as the story goes, and you guys see this because you're coaches and you help, but like my coach, he, he his name was Aldo Santaga, a Wisconsin soccer legend, old old Italian man. He, he took UW Green Bay to their first ever NCAA championship back in like the 70s and 80s. And so he was my high school coach because he was retired, was like, hey, I'll just, I'm bored. I still love coaching. I just want to help my local club. And so he, he started coaching my high school team but he knew all the coaches within that level. So he calls up the UIC coach. And again, he off his own back. I don't tell him to do these things. And this is also part of what kids need to understand is that people will help you if you help yourself. And what that means to me is, is if I wasn't doing what I was doing, if I wasn't showing him the work ethic that was required to play at a DP one level, if I wasn't showing him, you know, leadership qualities that I could leave my hometown and be a college soccer player, he would have never picked up that phone. He never would have. It's just not the way that this stuff works. And so, and so you know, life is reciprocal and so is, so is opportunity, in my opinion. And, and so I think creating that opportunity for me, I had shown him through three years of playing under him that I could be this player that no one else really saw yet because I'm, I'm my lack of opportunities. I'm up here doing this. I wasn't playing ODP. I never even tried out for an ODP team. Not once did I try out for that. I, I Like you said earlier, uh, Scott, you know, that times have changed. You know, if I'm any good at the sport, I'm going to be doing that right now in, in a modern day world. So I guess that's maybe one of the only differences what I see now and 
in, in basically what I had. But that being said, it was kind of like one of these things where I didn't really have a lot of options. I never tried out for state teams. I never, I, no wonder I'm not on the piece of paper. No wonder I'm not getting recruited. And so I never really took that personally. And that was kind of down the line too. They never really take things personally because of my story. But either way, so he picked up the phone and he, and he called the coach at the time. His name was Sasha Begovich down at UIC. And he goes, hey, I got this kid up here in Green Bay. I know he's at the level. Um, what do you got left in your scholarships? And they had $2,000 left. And so he's like, yeah, I'll give it to him just out of trust. Although I trust you, you were a great like mentor for me as Sasha came into the league as a young coach, you know, back in the nineties. So, you know, again, this is life is reciprocal and, and we support other people that support us. And that was just another version of that from their perspective. And they took a chance on me. And, and so that got me in the door at UIC. Again, I had to pay out of state tuition. I had to pay to go to go to school my first year. Um, thankfully I had parents that wanted to support that. And they did that. They, they paid whatever else I needed to do for year one. Um, but the fun part, as the story goes, is that I, I got recruited as a forward. Uh, I was a goal scorer at my state and, and had a good, I was an all-state player. Um, but that was about it. You know, I wasn't really testing myself against really good players regionally. And so university really allowed me to do that. First preseason, they don't know what they're going to do with me. They were going to redshirt me. And then all of a sudden, I defender and uh two defenders get injured one well one gets injured the other one gets a red card in our first preseason tournament in jacksonville florida and coach is looking down the bench and he's like i don't really have any options he calls me into his office after the game he's like jay have you ever thought about playing defender before and i'm like defender like i just got here you know what i mean like and i, and I thought i was a forward you know i love scoring goals that's kind of the first ego test that you get in this whole, whole kind of like okay your path is a footballer and and that was kind of my first real test. And I, not only for identity, but also just like, okay, well, how coachable are you? <laughs> it's kind of the way that I looked at it. Right. And, uh, yeah. And so I just, you know, I just knew that coaches know more than I do. And then so if somebody saw something mm -hmm. in me, I showed them in the first couple of weeks of training, like, what do I got to lose? I'm going to sit on the bench with my ego. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like I could do that. Yeah but I don't want to do that. I want to play. Like I'm here. Like maybe he knows something. I don't know. I want to get out there. Like this is what I'm here to do. You know, that kind of idea. And so I said, yes. And I had some simple instructions. We were a marking back system at the time. So it wasn't as complicated as say a four, four, two formation was, but even that's not that complicated. Our game's not that complicated when you break it down. Like it's like, okay, win the ball, give it back to somebody else. And so that's what I did defensively on a basketball court for 18 years of my life. And so I was like, okay, I'll just apply the same mentality to that. I'll follow this dude around. I'll shut him down. I'll get the ball and I'll give it to somebody else. Like that was as simple as it went in my brain. And that mm -hmm. really never got any more simple for the rest of my career until even marking Lionel Messi is the same concept. And so that, in all honesty, I have played the rest of that tournament. And I learned that in three games, I, I had been playing on a position for 18 years. <laughs> yeah. Did um, you win the ball from Messi? Uh, you, you make it seem like you won it from him a lot, and you just pass it to a teammate. Is that a, what, what was your experience playing well, against this guy? I mean, I mean, I always say, I mean, thankfully, yeah, I, 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 got, it, I got him a couple times <laughs> in my career. Thankfully, I got to play against him three times. 
Uh, I got to see the rise of him too. I yeah. got to play against him when he was a uh, still wearing number nineteen. I think it was back in in two thousand seven and at the Confederations Cup or sorry, the uh, the Copa America down in, in Venezuela, and he was just coming through. I think it was eighteen or nineteen. So I got to play against him then, and then we had those back to back friendlies at Giant Stadium in New York uh, in in two thousand ten or two thousand nine, two thousand eleven, and uh, you know he's just the most elusive player on the planet. Like you can't. You know, you, you try to shut him down from all angles because it's the only way you can stop him. And so you need more people than yourself. But he's just so elusive because he moves around so much. And so you can't – like, a number nine just stands on me as a center back, and I can play up against him. And I can I can, I can figure him out. I can move him, out, yep. move him around. I can test him. I can see what he's going to do. I can see where he wants the ball. I can see where he wants to go with it. I can see where his first touch is. But with Messi, like, all of a sudden you find him, and you just get there, and all of a sudden he's standing by the left back. And you're like, oh, crap. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Got another guy. I mean, I have to figure him out. And so then he moves. Now he's at the right. Now he's back at the center mid spot. If I'm like at the top of the box, and you're like, oh crap, there he goes there. And now the center midfielder's like, okay, now I got to figure him out. And, and he just goes, does this all the time. And then he's he's on the ball, and he's off it. And then he's passing around you, and then he's got it back. And you're like, by the end of it, you're just like, you just kind of give him a clap. Yeah. And you're on the greatness. Um, but you know, you can talk him a, a couple of times and you learn that he is human, but, uh, he's a, he's an, he's a spectacle and it's a, it's a privilege to be on the field with him and watch him do what he's been doing for two decades is, Hey, it gives me street cred to, to tell my story, but it, but it also, you know, even my kid gets to see the wonders of Lionel Messi. Like I did do, like I got to do 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a. That's an amazing thing. It's it's a cool thing. I'm glad he's in the country now. Uh, you know, he's got a pink jersey. So, you know, I run soccer camps too. I can't believe how many pink jerseys with Messi were already purchased and running around at camp. And I mean, he's just everybody's favorite. And I, I get it. I totally get it. And uh, I got little kids too. They're already fans. I mean, it's just a, it's a cool thing. It's a cool thing. It's a cool thing. You got to play against him. Hey, I wanna I wanna start off with uh, something specific. You know, you you were a multi sport athlete. You you played three sports. First, before I say anything, did you did you play all of that through high school? Did you go through your senior year still on the basketball team, still on the track team? I did, I did, yeah. And and I had I actually had a D three scholarship to play basketball, so that was the only other scholarship offer I had, um, which I didn't take because yeah. they didn't have the school offering that I wanted. And UIC kind of fit the bill, and it had the school offering. You know, that's really from right. me and my perspective and my support systems perspective. That's kind of what we looked at. You know, we looked at. Where's your opportunity as a player? Where's your opportunity as a person? And together, if those things meet up, then then, then that goes into the, the list of, of, of things that we're capable of. And, and UIC just kind of cleared that cleared that for me. Yeah. Well, and so so you're talking about using both avenues as potential to get, you know, a, a scholarship at a different school. So you you were taking it as both avenues to get somewhere. You know, I, I'll give you a, a story. So we, I actually had a kid in my uh, office last night. I'm recruiting him as a goalkeeper, but he's also a field goal kicker. And he wants to explore both for the exact same reasons that you're talking about. He's not going to quit football to just focus on soccer, even though he prefers soccer. But he's also, like, he's talking to a few Division One schools. And I, I'm looking at the kid. I'm like, yeah, man, what if someone th- throws a big scholarship at you to go play Division One football? And and I, I bring this up because there's a, a family that was at I'm pretty close with this family and their kid is, I think, 11 and he's a baseball player and a soccer player and he loves both. He's playing both. He's pretty darn good at both. 
And the parents are wondering like, all right, do I need to take him out of one and focus on one now just to, you know, make sure he can get to the tip top of that one mountain. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I, I played high school sports. I love football. I loved base. I played baseball growing up. I, I just, I, I have a hard time explaining to kids that no, you don't, you don't need to quit the other sport. You should absolutely play them both. And I love that you played them all through high school and you still made it to the top of the mountain. I just, I find it intriguing and, so basically my question is what what's your what's your explanation there? What do you tell the parents that are sitting in this the situation where they have a little son named Jay and he wants to play both sports and he could be a pro at one of them? You know, what what do you say to that parent before they make that big decision? Um, I mean I say play as long as you can with as many things as you can until until the kid figures it out, in all honesty. And and I say it's the kid because you know, when you get to 16, 17, 18, when you're supposed to be making these decisions, if you've developed a kid properly, they should be the leader of that decision. It doesn't mean that they are the decision fully because this is where support and this is where guidance and mentorship and, and parenting and all that stuff really comes into play. But, you know, I believe in the self-led universe. And, and, and I think that if a kid has done enough, if experienced by the time they're 18, they will have, we'll have figured that out by now. Um, but that only mm-hmm. allows that person to be in the programs. You have to. And, and so my, my answer to that is stay as long as you can. But my problem is, is that it's not the kids or the parents of the programs. It's the programs that will eventually say, sorry, man, like you got to choose because we got, we're training five days a week and your kid's playing football, two of them. Like that's a lack of opportunity for some other kid that we can bring on for a five day a week. And that's just not going to happen because that's the program. My suggestion is to find the right programs. I believe that there's a new wave of programs that are starting. Again, we can get to that later, kind of what mine's focuses on. And mine is truly holistic through the full development phases. There's nothing that these kids aren't going to be doing or people that they're not going to be accustomed to in a holistic development concern, you know, concentration of, of, of experience. Um, I think that's coming. I think the, the traditional program that you do one thing all the time is becoming archaic and it's, the results aren't showing. And, and, and again, that's why it's going to shift. And I think it's going to shift pretty quickly, uh, mainly because technology allows us to do that. But it's also the other part of it is, is, is that it's just data doesn't lie. And there are many kids out there that are in specialized programs that are suffering from mental health that's not created by necessarily them. It's created by their ability to only do one thing, to be focused on only one thing, to not create a holistic mindset that allows them to be themselves, which now creates the stress and anxiety, which causes a lot of the problems. And so this is what's going on. The data doesn't lie. But at the end of the day, in my opinion, the more holistic you are from a development standpoint for as long as you possibly can, the less worry and stress you're going to have along the way because you'll have skill sets that allow that real confidence to be there. Real confidence does not create stress and anxiety. That's not the way it works. And so when you can create real confidence by your own development, by being diverse in your approach, and then creating a self-led environment that allows the kid at 18, 19, 20, 21 to go, I like these things. This is enough for me. I got myself from now on. You guys are here. Thanks so much for your development, but I got this. And if not, I'll make mistakes, but at least I have enough core inside of me that I can drive the ship and not look to my left and look to my right and have stress and anxiety because I don't know what I'm actually doing because I've just been doing the one thing, listening to one person and and being this one thing that I'm kind of, but not really until that thing spit me out and said, I'm not that thing. And so this is the generalized development path that's going on. 95% of the people you guys work with, 95% of the kids that I work with. But again, I don't blame the kids, I blame the programs. And so I think that that's the solution is find the right programs. 
and otherwise just create it yourself and find the right programs that will allow you to do that. Yeah, I mean, you could pretty much argue the same thing goes for kids that are choosing to only play club soccer instead of playing high school soccer as well. And I mean, I'm sure you played as well. I thought high school soccer was amazing. I absolutely loved it. You're playing in front of all your classmates and there's you know pretty girls out there. It's not just your parents and some college scouts watching you. It's actually you're representing more than just a, you know, the other 17 buddies you got on the field with you on the club game. And I, I find that answer to be so like, it's a great answer because what you're telling these kids is there's so much more than just that one voice and this one team and they need to experience all these other things. I mean, the brain is still growing and developing until they're like 25 years old. And halfway through that, we're going to cut out all these extra things. You're only going to focus on one Avenue. And uh, I think it's like a a perfect way to put it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's going to be the message that we're going to send. I mean, I, I, I appreciate it. I mean, look at some of the famous players that played multiple sports. I mean, Kobe Bryant brags about his soccer experiences in Italy and how it helped his footwork and Chad Ochocinco, Chad Johnson, same stuff, playing soccer and, you know, of course, you got the famous people like Bo and Dion were the were the best athletes in the history of the world, and they played multiple sports forever. And, you know, it's I, I, it's a shame. I'm glad you're saying that. It really helps us um, with that argument because I, well, it, it breaks like, my heart when I see, you know, like, you know, even at your soccer training, like you can warm up by playing basketball. You can uh, you can you can have two pickleball courts at your thing and, and, and have pickleball tournaments and even with like it's just it's also like a physiological there's lots of different things right to even go back to your high school point i don't look at high school soccer as developmental super cosm of of how this kid's going to go play for bayern munich that's not the point the point for me in high school is sociological it's about being social it's yeah. about being kids the next to the kids that you grow up with it's about learning from each other and creating a community that's going to allow you to like go away from it and then come back to it and like it you know this is what social does for people and high school sports to me are all about social development it's not about the skill you want you're that good go play for a program that's the way of this world now cool do that but they're very different things from what i'm talking about. i'm talking about development and again we don't talk about the kids enough in my point like we're talking about programs we're talking about the next program we're talking about the money that we're going to save based on that transaction <laughs> we're not talking about oh, what does that kid need mm-hmm. and how they're going to develop holistically so by the time they're 22 they can make their own decisions and they don't need us anymore like that's what we should be focusing on is, is right. program but we're not we're not we're not focusing on the kid and what they need development from their from their holistic and worlds but you know like that's that's where i feel like is the biggest problem and that's the biggest disconnect of what the difference between programs and players are that we're not actually in the cross section we're either one or the other and we got to live in the cross section of what that is and how we actually practice within it. And then we find all the answers we ever going to need, but it doesn't actually work like that. And, and, and I don't think it's a big fix, but it, it definitely needs to be fixed. And so, you know, I think that there's, there's a lot of room for growth there, but again, when you go back to the development of the human, it has to be holistic because how the hell is that human ever going to be whatever they are? And again, like our programs are based around the nine forms of intelligence. So like I've been building an app with EA, the biggest video game company for the last two years. That's going to be like a masterclass for teens, but it's fun and it's gamified. And we use celebrities and brands to tell stories that are informational and fun. And all the kids can do it for free from their phones and learn about all these celebrities you talk about. What are their stories? How do they learn? What's their adversities? How do they all these things? But at the same time, your dashboard is not your face. It's your brain split into the nine forms of intelligence. And so if you go to your profile, you're going to see your own intelligence growing. You're not going to see your face in some other hot girl that you're only caring about because she's hot 
and then we're starting all these things <laughs> that aren't ours. And so within that, we can create this a better and more reasonable and, and, and sensible so social, but it still goes back to the authenticity of the user, which now stops a lot of the mental health issues, which again are caused by stress and anxiety of indecision and lack of identity and a, less, and a lot of mm. authenticity that allows you to be in that, oh my God, I don't know who I am. Should I trust Johnny? I don't know what school to go to. So I don't know if I like that coach. My parents are mad at me for something that I didn't even do because I didn't get some scholarship to some place I was never going to get to. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what am I going to do? And then I'm, I got mental health issues and I don't know what to do. And I go within myself, which I don't actually know because I've not been monitoring myself the whole time to know who I am. And so that's kind of, for me, the whole focus of what we do through our programs and the digital realms that we can start to create and help them with is that. Go back to them. They're fine. They're going to be fine. You just We just got to give them programs that allow them to be themselves. And then a lot of the answers are, are, are revealed. Yep, that's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, that's all fantastic stuff. Let's go back to what kind of led you down the path of this way of thinking. Um, so you've developed this way of thinking over a number of years of experience. And so there you are and, and at University of Illinois, Chicago, and, you know, you grew into, you know, playing out a position to becoming an All-American, right? Yes. Um, and so uh, you decided, hey, I've really only poured my heart and soul into this sport for four years. You know, what can I do if I give it four more years or whatever? Um, and so you, you came to the conclusion, I'm guessing, that, you know, you were going to jump in both feet. Um, I'll let you tell the story, but, you know, you kind of had a, a screw this, no plan B, I'm going to chase it and, and I'm going to jump in and I'm going to pour my heart and soul into something and um, talk about like your experiences and then how they led to, you know, looking back, like how they led into what you, what you're doing now, so to say, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, and, and again, it kind of goes back to what I was just talking about, like, no one told me to do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I told myself to do this. You know what I mean? Because of all the right. things that I've learned through my holistic experience at the age of 22, 23, where I could actually make my own decisions. I had played basketball, ran track, done all these sports. I'd had a million different coaches. Track is one of one. I played basketball with five. I played soccer with 11. So team environments were set. I knew what teams I was on. I knew myself in that. My positions had been skewed all over the place, but I had refined myself to know where I was best in the field. I had a degree in art and design. I had worked as a server, a bartender, a landscaper, a house painter. Uh, I had done all those things. And so I had refined myself enough where I'm like, okay, let's look at my real decisions and where I could go. I can go to England and live in an attic and start playing ninth divisions football for 50 bucks. Okay, sick. I can live in London by myself and I can graduate and do all these cool things. I guess I can live with five other people in an attic. Not the best digs I've ever had, but hell, I'd live in a cardboard box for the opportunity to be a professional. Cool. Okay, that's cool. I can stay in Chicago and get a design job. I got some internships lined up. Generally, walk me right into like a 40, 50K a year job. Okay, that's a great idea. You finish school for a reason. Again, Thankfully, I did have plan B, and that was come back and be a designer. I finished school for a reason. That was my deal with my parents. Before I go live in an attic, get your degree. You spent four and a half years doing this. Get that done. And I always talk about how the creative world and being a designer helped me so much look at my my pathways and really understand creatively 
what I was as a product. You know, I have a degree in product design. I actually gave a talk to the design community a couple of years ago about uh, how a, how the product designer became the product. So when I landed on English Shores, I was a product. I was a concept. I had this thing in my brain based on my experience as a design. I was this. I designed myself to be this. I'm a product, and that's a concept. Now I got to test myself in the big market. Now I actually become a product. Now I have customer reviews. Now I'm playing in front of fifty thousand people. Now I have a next. Now I have to do product brain number three. And so within that, I looked at that a lot because of design thinking. It allowed me to look at my pathway objectively and to not take any of it personally. I didn't take it personally when I didn't get drafted. I knew why I wasn't on the sheet. Why would I be on that sheet? There's guys that go to UCLA, Clemson, uh, you, you name the 100 universities that are way ahead in, in, on a name, on a sheet alone, let alone how many players get drafted, let alone the players that are from ODP programs that would be on the sheet way before me anyway, that are now still at those universities, that are now have good, good college careers and are on first and second and third team All-Americans like I was. And now, I've, no wonder I'm not on that stupid sheet. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sitting here taking that personally. I'm understanding my story because I've done enough research and feedback and experience that I actually know who I am and what I'm doing. You know what I mean? And and so that was that's the, that's the real like bones of why my story was and, and was the and is the way that it is is because of those reasons. And so I make those decisions myself. I go I, I, I choose experience and, and the lighter at light at the end of the tunnel. The tunnel's longer. The tunnel's a lot harder. That's for sure. Going to England, the biggest soccer jungle in the world from it again on a piece of paper that looks stupid. That looks really dumb. How do you not make it in America? You don't even get drafted. You're not even an all American first team or and you're going to England to stand in line with 5,000 other Africans, Norwegians, English, Scottish, Irish, Spanish, Portuguese, South American, you're going to go stand in that line? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I got, you I had got a it. full understanding. You had a full understanding of what you were undertaking. You didn't just say, this sounds like a good idea. And there was no whim about it. You just, you were, no. you were like, I, I, I trained this. Yeah. I, I've trained in a, in a four-year program in product design. Like I'm trained in strategy. I know I know the parts. I'm creative in my approach. I got a bunch of different options, and I think I just want I got to get myself in the door. And to your point earlier, yes, I am a two foot in. Either I'm doing it or I'm not. That's that's me. That's my commitment to who I am and, and to, to the things that I, I create in my life. I mean, I, I believe that's the only way mm-hmm. to be. It's only fully because it's going to be hard as hell anyway. And if I'm sitting here with one one foot over here and the other one over there, like, good luck. You know what I mean? In my in a mindset perspective, but it's really hard to get to two feet because it's hard, and and, and it really does. You got to rely on somebody else, <laughs> and that's that's the hard part. That's why you better know who you are, right? Right. Or at least have an right. idea. Yeah, it's it, it's also. I mean, Jay, the the timing of this decision was also critical. I mean, I, I talked to my guys. We're we're always lining them up with internships, getting them jobs, helping them do whatever it takes for them to, when they graduate, have master's degree or whatever it is they want to do lined up. But I've been trying to tell my guys, like, you're not married, you don't have kids, you you don't owe much money if you owe any at all. Why not do what you did? I mean, think about your decision to go. Now, obviously, you you played professionally, you had an awesome experience, but. What was the worst case scenario for you? You were going to go over there and you were going to try to go pro, which is a cool thing. You're going to live in a different country. You're going to get some perspective on how the rest of the world operates a little bit here. And you're going to be around. You just named how many continents did you play soccer with? I mean, 
it, worst case scenario, you were going to come home with more experience, more perspective and more of an understanding of how life should be and more of an understanding of how you are as a human being. And, um, you know, so really, I, I love that you played at Watford. You know, I love that you were on the national team. But in between all that, you know, the the being in the attic, the being on the road, the being around your guys, just living in different towns. What was that like? What did you take from that that turned you into that it had to mold you as well and you know in your 20s that had to really mold you oh 100 and you know i'm a big believer that uh experience creates resilience and because because when you experience things adversity is guaranteed to happen whatever that is and again adversity comes in a million forms but it creates it creates this resilience and it creates character because with that experience comes this whole character reveal and you know i think for me Thankfully, I'd come from college. I knew what it was like to live on on spaghetti and meatballs and and, and mac and cheese and, and bread and loaves of bread. You know what I mean? Like I know what that's like. So I didn't have to like step into this crazy environment that I was unaware of. You know what I mean? So to your point earlier, I'm living in a foreign country, one of the biggest and most metropolitan, amazing cities in the world. The four, one of the founding fathers of of football. You know what I mean? Like I remember going, and again, I say this all the time, it was my experience of, of, of understanding English culture for the first time in football culture alone that got me to stay. Like, I went to a Division Three game, QPR, Queen's Park Rangers down in central London, against Tranmere Rovers, which is like D3. Again, Loftus Road is like 20,000 people, but it's like old school, right on the sideline. Like, you can almost touch the dude taking a throw in. And these guys are on him. The wave of the crescendo of that 93 minutes is like, whoa doesn't shut up the, the the waves whether what good bad happens the wave of the stadium is just live and i've never seen anything like that ever even at the d3 level let alone like walking out at liverpool or like you know old trafford like that's a whole nother bag we'll get to that later but like just seeing that as a fan and understanding what that culture was from a base level and a foundational level i was like holy shit like i gotta stay here this is something i need to do i just experienced this as, as, as a fan that's enough for me. I'm staying here. This is it. And and so then I started to, you know, my mindset started to shift. How do I stay here? How do I make it here? You know, from there, it starts about your performances. If you're playing in the 12th division, 9th division, and you're not starting for your team, you should probably start there. You know what I mean? And then if you're not if you're not playing and contributing, yeah. and having people, again, my story kept going, okay, well, now I'm playing. By the end of that first season, I'm starting, and I have two third division tryouts. I don't make either of those couple different reasons one i went on the 87th minute um I, you know who's going to make a team when you play two and a half minutes like good luck you know i knew i didn't take that personally again with my mindset it wasn't like oh man i have my chance oh i get to call my mom and say i'm coming home like i just hopped six divisions in a season as an american that wasn't even getting a shot in the beginning i've shut that up now i got scouts who know my name and i got two third division trots i don't care if i didn't make either of those I just hopped six divisions and made this progress in a con in a culture that is so cutthroat. Like that's that's good. That's not bad. That's a great idea. And so then then I, I went home back to Chicago. I worked, uh, and then I came back with that full idea of like, okay, I'm starting at that third division level. That third division team said, when you come back, let us know. Just so happens my coach moves teams and he goes, oh, we're, we're playing a friendly and against this first division team called Watford. He's like, why don't you come do preseason with us? So I just switched teams. I, I was at a seven, I think it was seven or eighth division at the time. This team called Northwood, not far from Watford. I get to play in those games. And again, as time and I'm not going to call it serendipity, but it might be, I don't know. 
they put their first team out. And so I'm playing against their first team for Watford, and I'm playing against an Icelandic international and an English international, Bruce Dyer and Heider Helgeson. If they put mm-hmm. out the third team and I'm playing against the, the reserves, am I getting my shot? Am I probably, you know, getting that coach going, whoa, who is this kid? What the hell is he doing on this field in the ninth division team winning balls against an Icelandic international? Like, what's up with this dude? And so that's what happened. Coach asked coach after game. Coach says, well, this dude's been in – he's from the States, but he's been here for a year and almost, almost a year and a half now. Flying his trade, working his way up. And he goes, okay, cool. I'll take him on trial. And so that's what happened. I got picked on on trial, and it's a whole nother bag. You start playing against first division players, guys that are better than you. And then, again, it's exactly what I had planned on. Like, all of a sudden it happens, and I get surprised. Like, that all of a sudden it happens. You're like, okay, I planned on this. This is when I now implement this one. <laughs> Watford, first division, go. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like I hadn't thought about it. You know, I'm not here for surprising because if I know myself and I know what I'm good at when I'm I've already imagined, I've already imagined that training session a hundred times in my head, hundred percent. What do I need to do? How much should I act? How should I play? What do I need to say when I come in? What questions should I do? I have what questions do I want to ask? What kind of players do they have? What kind of guys am I up a competition with? Who are the guys I'm going to be going against for this contract now that I'm there on trial? Like these are the questions I'm curiously asking myself all day long and continue to the rest of my whole life because this is the way my, my mind works. But this is a built thing. This is something that works for me. This is something that will work for all of us if we take that attention to detail and prep and post of your experience. Yeah. um, Jay, go back to when you were leaving the States to go to England and you tell your parents, you know, what was their reaction and how did they handle the time that you were away? You know, what kind of... um, what stories were you telling them, you know, <laughs> while you were overseas and, you know, just how did they handle all of it? And I'm getting to the point of, of, of I'm getting to a point. So answer the question, then I'll, and then I'll have a follow-up probably. I mean, to be honest, my parents have always been really cool. And my mom has said that she, she always says Jay's, Jay's just been himself his whole life. And so I think they, they stopped asking questions a long time ago, and so did I. But it was kind of just like, okay, you know, if that's what you want. It could, again, like, thankfully, my results have always kind of spoken for themselves to kind of earn my trust over the years of, like, I swear, Mom, just let me go to Chicago. I want to test myself in the big city, and it's going to be great for me. Okay, Jay, you know, they want you to stay near. They want you to be close to them, you know, they get naturally. And, again, that's not my parents. They just let me be me and. And they allowed me to do that. And so thankfully throughout the years, my track record was good. You know, just let me do this thing socially. Mm-hmm. And I swear I'll get A's. Just, okay, cool. You can do that. You can <laughs> right. go to that part, Whatever. Okay, well, just let me do this. I swear I'll get a scholarship. Okay, cool. All of a sudden scholarship. Okay, just let me go to Chicago. And I swear I'll make Chicago work. So the same thing. Just let me pack my bags and I'm going to go live in an attic. And just, I swear, England is like this place. I can feel it. I can do it. And then all of a sudden you yeah. call... In the beginning, it's like, okay, after a year, Jay, you got a degree. Like, don't you come back and get a job? Like, are you sure you can survive over there on this stuff? And again, I'm just making it work. I'm making a hundred bucks a week. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm surviving. But again, thankfully, I know how to do that. So I'm not stressing them out with all that stuff. She'll send me 200 bucks every couple months or something like that. Like, are you guys okay? Do you need a couple hundred bucks? Like, that's the standard we were at. But like, that's all I needed. Really, that's all I needed. And so... She let me stay. They let me stay. Both of them are very supportive. I talk to them like every 
week or two, just on a Sunday, catching up. And that's kind of the vibe. And back then it was the internet, like cafes. Like I couldn't like just pick up my phone and call my mom. Like right. back then it was like, head to the internet cafe and like get on the router. <laughs> but you know that that was my parents have always been so supportive and i also think you know this has been a huge part of my story because i always say like when you have the confidence to take risks in this life it's generally because you have support on the back side of it i could take crazy decisions because i knew i'd still be loved i just knew if i if i messed it all up i could go live with my parents and my parents would gladly take me in and support me like that's a big thing that I can take risks and be crazy in my life. The support is in the other side. But I also make sure to make this point too when I talk about the support conversation. Support doesn't have to be your parents. There's a lot of kids out there that don't have support from their parents. That's okay. They got support mm-hmm. from Scott and Justin. I know that. They got support from said teammate. They got support from you know, said mentor. That's some other professor at the university they go to or somebody they connect with, somebody that supports them regardless. That exists 100% of the time. You just got to go out and find it. And so with that comes with who do you need to support so you can be crazy in your decisions to be who you are? Like that's a good sentence, but it's also how it actually has to work because it's the only way it does. And so, you know, again, when I was asked the questions on both sides of that ball, and as long as those things are nailed and you got those things, go be crazy. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, we're all parents on here and, you know, it's easy to, to kind of parent from a place of fear and not want your kids to screw up. And I mean, it's amazing that your parents just said, you know, and, and, you know, all credit to you too. Like you proved to them over and over again that they didn't need to be afraid. Like you were gonna, you were gonna figure it out one way or the other and be fine. And um, so that's, it's amazing to think that it, it makes me wonder like, what would I do if I were in their shoes and you were, going to go live in an attic and share bath water. You know, I, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to give my son your number if he has to do that. So, um, graduate and I'm calling your parents. Yeah. You graduate. <laughs> so you see a lot of different crazy things like that. That's for sure. But you know, some people are built for it, but again, these are the ones yeah, you got to find. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So let's keep plugging along with your story. Um, so you you get your trial through playing with that with that uh, team and with Watford, right? Yes. Um, I just want to make sure I have the order of events right. So you end up so talk about like you know you're asked to come do the trial and you end up playing way more than you thought you were going to, right? Um, you know, kind of maybe walk through that story real quick. Trial was kind of, again, we, we, we get in this baptism of fire and we kind of get to the end when it's like, okay, so generally in any European trial or any any trial basis at all as a young pro, you'll get about two weeks. So most clubs, even now in North America, will have a reserve team. So these are second team players, guys that are young, guys that are injured. Um, you know, these are the reserves that don't really play because then you have the first team, which is generally your eyes, your 18. These are guys you rotate throughout the 18 starting lineup guys and you're starting and you're sub five. Generally, these are guys that will train together. And so the first you come in, you train with the reserves. And so if you play well with the reserves and you get up to the first team, you get called up almost. And so it's a generalized you know, standard of, of play for most professional teams. But so I got my I got my week and a half with the reserves, and then Ray Lewis, the coach at the time, calls me in his office. He's like, "I hear you've been doing great with the reserves." He's like, "We got one more high-profile friendly. 
against a team called Real Zaragoza. They're from Spain. Come to the stadium. You haven't been there yet. Why don't you come? We'll get you involved. So I'm thinking, you know, I'll get to warm up with the team or, like, sit on the bench and, like, yo, welcome to pro, pro football. And uh, I, I walked into the locker room with my wind-up camera, and I was in the whiteboard just, like, the one behind you, Justin, and it said demerit in the starting lineup with 10 other guys I hadn't even trained with from the first team, let alone, uh, you know, played with uh, in front right. of 25,000 people against a La Liga team <laughs> when you've been playing in a park for 60 bucks for the last year and a half. And uh, <laughs> it's like, there you go. There's the, there's the Inferno. Check that out. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it was. He was, is, you know, this is, I always talk about, like, there are moments in life where you either freak out and you sink or you grab the balloon and, and you go. And, and, and that's for me as a mentality more than anything. The mentality to grab one is, 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 is really the way it generally works. And so I originally went left and I went Inferno. I'm like swearing that I probably think I can't say on match play, but um, it's, I went to the bathroom <laughs> stall. I, I have my head in my hands. And I immediately go to blame. I immediately go to, why didn't he tell me? I'm not ready. Uh, who are these guys I got to train with or play with? Like, how did he, how could somebody do this? Like, hey, that's fundamentally backwards because I had to, this is what I've been sitting in an attic for, for a year and a half. Like, and so I very quickly, again, thankfully mentality for me was, was something that I concentrated on and, and spent a lot of time being able to get out of these situations uh, mentally. And so I, I said, no, like, shut up dude like what are you talking about like this is this is exactly why you've been sleeping <laughs> floors for a year this is why you've been spending 60 bucks on spaghetti and beans and toast because you've been waiting for this opportunity and now you're going to be scared of it because some dude didn't tell you like come on man like this is this is this is what it is what it is stop being a wimp and so that's kind of the idea i, I got myself out of that with a good good period of self-talk walked out of that stall with a focus of who's the guy I'm playing next to. I'm going to go talk to him right now. I'm going to introduce myself to him and say, okay, just so you know, this is my first time. I need your help. I need you to help me kind of walk my way around. If there's anything you need me to know as we warm up, please let me know. I want to keep it simple. And thankfully, I also know how to keep it simple. And that was always from the moment I, again, I said earlier, whether you're playing Messi or you're playing this time, I knew what I was good at. I knew what I could do out there. And I did it my whole career and not much changed. And that was be competitive, win everything, get the ball, give it to somebody that's better than you. It's very simple. And that was it. Yeah. And so I walked out there with confidence yeah. to do that. How because did, how did... All, the results, all the results that I had had in the previous games to get to the point where I've been in that situation, that's what I did. That's what I do. And so... Again, I'm not playing the 40-yard switch. I'm not stepping over and playing to the left back, getting it back, trying to dot balls into the forward. That's for the guys that are good. I'm not doing that. I'm out here to compete. I'm out here to be a menace. I'm out here to be a competitor. I'm out here to make sure that I shut that dude down, whether he's a number nine or a number 10 or a number eight. I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make his day 93 minutes of relentless work. If he's good enough, cool. But other than that, that's what I'm doing. And so that's what I did. And again, the funny story goes, there's a guy in Wisconsin up in the in the box who owns this box for this company called Insincorator. They were a sponsor of the club. He calls up the club. He's like, I see this guy from Wisconsin. I, I, I'm i sponsoring his jersey. What do I need to do? And they're like, 
<laughs> he's a stylist. He's not even. He's not even signed yet. But they're like, dude, I'm good. We're getting sponsorship calls from people already about this kid. Like, what is this? What's going on with this kid? <laughs> and so then they, they, uh, they, Ray Lewington calls me into his office after the game. He was a coach. He's like laughing, and I'm like, what? Well, he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, I think you're an asshole. <laughs> you might have to blurt that. <laughs> but, but that was kind of my concept. Boy. He's just kind of, and we share a laugh together. And he's like, listen, Jay. He's like. At this level, we got to take chances. He's like, we got hundreds of people to take chances on. He's like, well, we got to throw people in the deep end and see if they can swim. He's like, that was our test for you. And he's like, you more than happily did that. He's like, uh, he's like, do you have an agent? I lied and I said I did, but I knew enough people there that knew agents, and so that's kind of how it started. And so they offered me a one-year deal for twenty-five thousand pounds, and that was heaven to me, and that got me going. Yeah, I mean, incredible, right? I mean, the garbage disposal guy was uh, noticing you, and and uh, <laughs> have you gotten any money from Incinerator? <laughs> I've got a lot of free Incinerators in my places, though. That's for sure. You know, who doesn't need a nice way to? <laughs> that's right. I'll make sure I tag them in this. Um, yeah. So yeah. So. <laughs> so now you. Um, you're 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 there like almost right you're you're second division right at that point Watford is second division or not yeah. second but championship yeah, um, yeah under the Premier League yeah so you play you sign a year-long contract and you know what what are you telling yourself you're you're still you know are you kind of going back and forth from that like how the hell am I going to do this with compared with are you back and forth with your good self-talk and holy crap self-talk? You know, <laughs> when did it kind of turn over that you really, really belonged? Um, it's a good question. And it's almost a two-part. One, it was like the fact that I got a contract <laughs> and for a year was like for me of the mentality was I got a year. A, that eases. Mm -hmm the pressure a little bit because I'm not on a trial for a week. You know what I mean? I got a year. That's good. But in a way, in the grand scheme of things, a year is nothing. So I'm still considering myself a trialist. I'm not, I'm not sitting here buying a BMW with my 600 bucks I got in my pocket now and spending 300 bucks a month of it on that. Like I'm still staying where I, what I, where I'm at. I got a year's time to prove that I am better than this. That's my mentality. How do I go and do that? Like that for for me was I stepped into that opportunity. That was my thought process. But it was also like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to mess around. I'm not. I I came here with purpose. I am that yeah. player. Somebody just told me that because they offered me a deal. Like that's enough for me. I don't need anything more than that. Now, how do I go and get that spot? You know, honest. That's from a killer mentality. From a professional mentality, that's the way I go. Now. I'm not here for for. Uh, I'm not here right. for you know, for popcorn, you know what I mean? I'm here to do this. What I, what I, what I move away from my family and my friends all by myself to sleep in an attic and share bathwater for let's go. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is where my killer mentality has to come. Cause if I'm going to be yeah. a killer, I got to step in an environment like one. I'm not happy to be there anymore. I'm, I'm there now. I'm killing everything in front of me, including the opponent and the guy in front of me like that for, re for real. Like that's the way I, I now approach. And so that's what I did. And so, yeah. Again, Sean Dyche was in front of me at the time. He was 33, 34, great player, incredible leader, um, and another guy named Neil Cox. So they were 33, 34. 
on the on, the, on their way out of the game. Incredible careers, incredible players, incredible mentors for me. I came in. Both those guys were coming in with a little bit of niggle, injuries, things like that. Sean ends up tearing his groin. Six, six, seven games of the season, he tears his groin. He's out for six weeks. As a young player, that's what you need to do. You need to wait for your opportunities and learn from the people in front of you. So that's what I was doing. I was learning from these great pros in front of me. Thankfully, they were taking me into their wing because they knew they had to. Um, but it was also like, okay, this dude actually does need help. And so in that six games, you know, I come in with that mentality and go, no, I'm going to be a great pillar to the side of this person. I got young energy. I'm hungry. I'm going to win everything and I can help this dude. He's going to learn me how to communicate. So Neil Cox helped me do that. Turns out I play those six games. We go on a little bit of run. Sean Dice comes back. Turns out we got to get a lot of people off the contracts because we're still coming down from the Premier League the year before. Sean's on bigger money. All of a sudden, I play 30 games. Sean Dice leaves at Christmas. Mm. I play 30 games my first season, culminating at walking out at Anfield at a cup semifinal in front of 45,000 people in the, one of the biggest stadiums in the world and best stadiums in the world. And 20 games ago, I was sleeping in an attic, sharing bathwater. <laughs> you know what I mean? But again, yeah. the transition of that for me was on paper, it looks hard as hell. But for me, from a mentality and an ability standpoint, that's what I've been waiting for my whole life. And so I didn't think of it as something. It was like, finally, I'm here. This is what I, this is what I'm here for. And so, and again, that result turned into a new contract. So they signed me up at the end of that year uh, for a three-year deal. So now all of a sudden I got it. I'm here. I got three years now and, I'm, and I'm, I can actually create my own revenue and I have my own money now. And that's great. But again, I'm not here to, I'm here to, make moves you know what i mean i'm here to be the player that i know i can be and then that goes back to my shift of okay now how what can i work on what do i need to do how do i stay in the starting lineup and stay consistent how do i get better and then again that's what we did and, and so ad boothroyd came in the next year as a new manager he was the youngest manager in all professional leagues at 34 and he really got me on a whole nother stratosphere of like what i'm capable of putting me on those environments and that's the year year two is when we got promoted mm-hmm. um Side question. Would you take Sean Dyche against any other Premier League manager right now in a bar fight? <laughs> yeah, probably close. Our bottles and things are, is there anything <laughs> we can use or anything like that? Or is there, I mean, kind of straight back. <laughs> I don't know. Sean Dyche, he's an intense dude, it looks like. Oh. When he taught yeah. me how to do the projectile armor blow, too. When Sean Dyche played, he was the king of the projectile farmer blow. He could just press his thing and the thing would <laughs> all the way across the field. He, he taught me that one. I, I developed that later in my career. I don't know. As an old person, you end up getting more snot. I don't know why, but like doing that always made me yeah, think. Yeah. He taught me a lot about the game, but that, that was one of the things too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, talk about like learning – how to be a true professional from those guys. And, you know, I think this can be used by anybody at any level at any age. How do you, how do you develop as a professional once you saw the, you know, true professionals like Sean Dyche for crying out loud? Like, what was that well, like? Eyes open too. And I think that's one thing we're lacking now in traditional development is that we're not looking at that. Mentorship is like, it's like a special thing now. You know, oh, we're going to bring this mentor and we have the program. I have to like bring people in because it's not built into our programs. And it's like, 
like I had to clean boots. Young pros in England back then, we had brushes and big buckets. And the first team guys would just drop their boots off at the tanks. We're cleaning their boots. We're, we're getting their stuff ready. It's a full apprenticeship. You know what I mean? And again, there's, there's, there's a time and a place for that, in my opinion. And so you learn from these guys. If you're nice to them, they're nice to you. It's your generalized thing in any workplace. It really is. But, you know, and again, sometimes they'll be hard on you, too, because they have to be. This is pros. Like, I'm not coming in here as a gift. They're like, you got to get in here and you got to perform. And, and if Sean's out, this is what Neil's conversation would be where if Sean's out, I'm not playing next to a 33-year-old that knows what he's doing. So he's like on me. He's having a go. He's making sure that I'm feeling this big or this big. Like, it's one or the other at that point. But, right. you know, all part of it, in my opinion. But again, thankfully, I'd come from those environments. I was coachable. I had 9 million coaches. I had seniors that were beating me up. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. You know, like that kind of stuff was something I was built for. I'd already been doing that for 15 years. You, you know what I mean? So it wasn't new to me. It was just thankfully it was a new environment that I was so stoked to be in that I got to bed every day with a smile on my face and a lot of energy in my heart to go and perform and be the player that I knew I could be. And and also be loyal to the brand that took me a chance on me and gave me the opportunity to be who I am. Like there was a lot of loyalty there. And so as I came into the, you know, Watford days, you know, I, I worked well with the club. I worked well with the fans. I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So fans were always a major point of being professional. And all those things really fit with Watford. And, and, and so as I got into year two, again, I score the goal, get man of the match in front of 67,000 to get Watford promoted to the Premier League. And all of a sudden, I'm thrust into an even greater leadership role by year three. And so by year three, I'm playing in the Premier League. I'm a leader of the team. I'm assistant captain. I actually get captain. I, I wear an armband as assistant captain in the Premier League. So I've captained Watford in the Premier League as a third-year pro who's played at Anfield and is now walking into leadership roles. And it's like, I appreciate that more than anything. And I love that because, again, I'm not, I don't think that I'm not deserving to be there. I don't think that. And that's not, there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. And, and, and I think arrogance is a false sense of confidence. Confidence is deserved by performances and results that create impact that has real meaning. And I think... You know, I had had enough of that in my first two years of, of being a pro and, and, and playing and having those good performances. Those are the results that I'm looking at. So why can't I step into that role? I am that player. Why don't I go be that and to expand from there? And so that's just kind of how it always was for me. And, and so each new challenge brought that new leadership role. And then with that, I grab it, learn from it. Not always easy, but then we, we, we break through that and we're always a better human or person or player because of it. And so that's kind of the way I always did things my whole career. Same thing went for once that was done. Okay, now I'm a Premier League player. Now I want to make my national team. I got four years to make it to South Africa. Mind shift. How do I do that? How do I become a player first? You know, all that stuff now comes into the mindset of what is that like? Yeah, I mean, so, so Jay, you, you, you told an awesome story. You're now talking about how you're a leader and you're going to be one of the top guys in the country and you're you're kind of taking younger guys under your wing and through your playing experience. But I, I'd like to skip ahead a little bit. So now you're all done playing and you're still you're still being that guy for now. Young kids, you're giving all of these kids this awesome experience. That basically, this is how I grew up. I'm throwing this at you is kind of how you know. I, I really want you to kind of speak on how you're approaching these kids in the rise and shine. What are they doing? How is it helping them either going to college or maybe not going to college and moving on to the next phase in their life? I mean, what 
what exactly are you doing at your camp where I know it's not just soccer, you know, like I know you're doing a lot of other things. What do those activities look like? And, you know, maybe you could share a couple of really cool stories about some of these young men and women that you're, you're working with. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and again, I think it's just about empowerment. You know, empowerment lives where, uh, you know, self-identity meets mentorship and learning and information. You know, these are the types of things that we very rarely create these days. You know, we're either not providing mentors because we're doing one thing or we're not providing an experience that allows that person to actually go beyond what that program is telling them to do, which is generally one thing. And so my whole concept is, again, I pitched our, my whole concept to both Watford and to the White Caps, like, as I came out of the game. Because as you come out of the game as well, you look at your experience from a, like, from a, from a space view and you go, what do you want to do with that? Do you want to go coach pros? Do you want to give it back to the next generation? Do you hate the game now and you just want to go be an engineer and work for an, you know, a video game company? Who knows, you know, at the end of the day. And so, but for me, it was like, I have this wealth of experience in a bunch of different directions. I was a very holistic in my story. Why don't, why don't I teach holistic? I come from an environment background that my, is built from education. You're, we never know where our parents until we are. And all of a sudden I'm like, I want to give back to those. Injuries. I see these young 17 year olds that are just itching to hear about what it's like to play against Lionel Messi. But I'm looking at them and I'm like, they think that they're going to be Lionel Messi. Oh crap. I got to tell them that, that that's probably not going to be true, but I got to be doing it in a way that I'm not going to make them mad at the game or mad at me. And that's, that's hard. And that's why coaching is difficult. And that's why leadership is difficult because we got to tell these kids the reality that they face. And that's not telling them that they can't be Lionel Messi. That's not telling them that they're not. I'm not a dream killer. I, I believe in dreams because I am a living, walking version of one. But I also know what it takes to get there and, 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 and how rare it is to actually get there. And so I, we need to make sure we teach that too because with that now becomes the support of safety where we need to live to have confidence in this life. If I don't feel safe, I'm done. And I'm back over here and I'm second guessing myself and I have stress and anxiety and I don't have support and I feel alone in this life. And so, you know, when I came out of the game, I'm like, I want to stop that. I want to use my experience to inspire. And then I want to create a system that supports on the other side. And so I'm the vehicle in between. I'm, I'm inspiration and support. So I'm both. I can, I can do both. I like doing both. That's my purpose. But again, that's been unearthed by, 43 years of experience of really getting to the bones of what's going on in my life and in my world. And that's just a constant refining of character, of experience, both good, bad, ugly, doesn't matter. And I've done all of it. I've, I have as many ugly experiences as script, really. But all of them are great because it refines to where you are right now and to, to the happiness that I have. And so within that, like, that's what I want to think. If you like, if you create a program, are you tapping into those things? Are you taking the, 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 the kids or the users? And again, they don't have to be kids. If you're a leader in a business, it's the same. You're, you own a law firm, look at your employees. Some will be 22, some will be 52. All of them have their own unique experience into this team. But now how is I as a leader in a program tap into all those things, but yet make all those people feel like they're part of something special and something that's gonna grow with them. And then we can all win in the end and do whatever. Like that's the way that I look at programs, especially for me development. How can I get each of these kids to win? How do I create support systems that are relatable to each of those kids? If I'm just Jay and I walk in and I go and I got 20 kids in my camp, I only do 20, 30 kids. I don't like being more than that because they don't know my name. Like I'm just defeating the whole purpose. That's just me trying to make money. 
I'm not trying to do that. I don't, I don't develop kids to make money. I do it to, to, because that's my purpose and, 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 and I do it because I want to. Um, but the idea is, is like, if I'm not relating to them, some of them might not relate to me because they probably don't, they're not from where I'm from. They haven't done what I've done. Their parents aren't like mine. They don't, they don't have a brother. Like, why would they relate to me outside of like, they like Lionel Messi and what it's like to play against him. But if all of a sudden I bring in a, a chef from a famous restaurant down the street and I bring in the head of nursing for the hospital downtown, and then I bring in a, 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 a coach that coaches the NHL hockey players to fitness, that player might relate to that chef. That player might relate to the woman trainer that's been on her own most of her life and dealing with dudes and, and doesn't want to, you know, and, and step in front of that and, and all this stuff. Okay, cool. Now that little girl in that stands is like, oh, that's the one. I want to be like her. And so then that starts this whole concept of like why we use mentorship mm. and experience as our greatest teachers because then it's because that creates the relation for people to get out of their comfort zones and do things that is inside of them. Because only then are they going to go and be who they are if they actually so choose to do that. But we need to help because only those experiences are going to go one way or the other. But it's up to us to give them a pathway of understanding that allows them to feel safe along the way so they keep taking risks. Then at the same time, they're getting refined and refined and refined and refined and refined. So by the time they're 22, they're like, damn, this life is amazing. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting you say these things because I – I talked to a few teachers. You know, I've, I've got a, my my oldest is five years old, and um, I've got a three year old, and she's crazy. You know, they're they're completely different kids, and I think my son's going to be an awesome student. I think he can sit down, do the work. He's going to be pretty good at math. I'm guessing. You know, I was decent at that. But I couldn't read to save my life, but my wife is a really bright woman, so I, I have a feeling that he's going to be pretty good. I think my daughter needs a completely different environment. I think she's just as smart, just a completely different kid, and. It's interesting how we do it in this country. We we raise kids to we're going to judge them off of how they do sitting down at a desk, being quiet, listening to one teacher and, you know, going through like how do they do on their SATs? How do they do on their math tests? You know, like not everybody learns that way. And uh, I had a teacher tell me that some of the best kids they had were terrible, terrible students in the classroom. But as soon as they left the classroom, went on a field trip, did something outdoors, you know, whatever it was where the environment was outside of the classroom, some of those worst kids ended up being not only the best behaved kids, but they were the complete leader of the program and they were helping other kids and they were just a whole different human being. And you're like, all this kid needed was to get out of the classroom. And he's also a very bright kid that just needs a different environment. And it sounds like that's what you're providing at rise and shine. It sounds like that's, you know, you got a camp going on. I mean, it, are you are you seeing that with these kids? We're like, man, that just get that kid out of there. He's gonna be just fine in this other environment. Yeah, and we mix the curriculums too. And to your point, like again, like just as part of our curriculum. Okay, so we start with the mind. So I work with the, my partner. She her, her name is Danny Wilson. She's a she's an incredible DJ. She plays the biggest music festival in the world, but she's also uh, has her master's in sports psychology and is a mental performance coach at the national level. So we run our programs together. She's a great oh, friend cool. of mine. Um, and so we do, we start our days with mindset mornings. And so mindset mornings, we start our mornings with the mind. So all of our programs, we start with a mental performance exercise for an hour in the morning. That's a meditation. That's a storytelling vehicles. It's uh, it's mindset exercises. It's self-talk. It's creating growth mindset over fixed mindset. Each lesson is different, but it starts here. Because to your point, and this is kind of what the programs are built off earlier, is like we build off the mind. We don't build off the skill. In your traditional programming now at 9, 10, 11, 12, 
your kid, my kid, are going to start to show skills based on things we put them in. Bike camp, basketball camp, art camp, music camp, whatever it is. All of a sudden, that teacher, that professor is going to be like, hey, Dustin, your daughter is showing exemplary signs at math and, and at art. I have a friend that's just started this art academy down the road. It's, uh, it's 1500 bucks a year. But we know we have channels to the Clemson Art School, the local program here uh, for Emily Carr, and we have uh, this thing here. Why don't you come into this program? Mm. And then all of a sudden that siloed skill approach is already there. and We don't even know it. It's just what happened. Right. And so all of a sudden, daughter's doing art, 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 15 years old, and she's great at art, and art's cool. Art is amazing. But guess what happened to social? Guess what happened to soft skills? Guess what happened to durable skills? Guess what happened to work ethic outside of your own skill? And guess what happened to the last point? And just to sum it up, what happened to the mindset that comes along with all of the failures that are about to happen because the holistic environment that she sees isn't actually hers? That's, that's the problem. But we don't talk about it until we get to that. And then now we call that mental health. And that's that's not actually true. It's just because the art program did one thing and focused on a skill set instead of a mindset before they start everything. Because if you have a mindset, you can create any skill set. Mm. If you have a skill set, you can very rarely sometimes create a mindset because of that. It's going to create failures before the mindset exists. And so that's fundamentally backwards in our programs. We teach mind first. Then we teach skill set so that we have three programs. We have DJ camps, soccer camps, and leadership camps. All have different kids that come. All just mainly specialized in whatever it is that they're there. So we do two sessions a day in the specialization of why they're there. Soccer being an example. We do two, two sessions a day. One session on field. One session like short skills, soccer, tennis, things like that. Fun games, whatever. And then we have the afternoon session, which is based on the mentor of the day. So we have lunch. Lunch is usually based on nutrition, some kind of chef telling us about something new thing or some kind of food that is good for anti-inflammatory. So we get education built into the meals. And then from there, we go into the mentor of the day. So mentors of the day, I just go into my great friend list and I go, hey, actor, can you come up from two to four today and talk about acting? And we'll do a little acting lesson with the kids. Sure, of course. I got two hours of my time for kids. They come up. We do an acting lesson. They put the, their famous show on TV and they're like, whoa, this is this person. Cool. I'm a teenager. I have a blue check mark. Cool. I want that. Cool. Let's listen to acting. Now, all of a sudden, you have teenagers caring about acting because the person in front of them is famous. And you're like, oh, now I want to be an actor. And so by the end of that week, we do three to four day programs. By the end of that three or four days, you've met a chef, an actor, a fire chief, a soccer player, a DJ, and a psychologist. And you realize that all of us are the same from a mindset and experience perspective, because to get to high performance, you have to do a lot of things. You've got to create adversity. You have to go through, you have to be told no, you have to believe in yourself when no one else does. There's all these things. And the head chef says the same thing that the fire chief says, which says the same thing as the captain of the soccer team says, because that's actually high performance. We teach high performance. We don't teach the skill. Skills comes later and we can help you with the skill, but that's not the, pro that's not the process, right? So within that, you get this amalgamation of all this experience. And in the end, after four days, these kids are like, whoa, I can do anything I want. And parents are emailing us going, my kid won't even talk to us at dinner. And we picked him up. And for two and a half hours on the drive home, he didn't shut up. Like, well, I don't know what the hell you just did to my kid. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and again, I, I, I can tell awesome. you the debt that I'm in from my programs, but that's not the point. The point is, I get emails like that. And for me, that's that's the key to youth development. I don't care about 
that. I care okay. about the email that says my kid's doing something that's his and he loves it. Then we're doing our job. I love that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, you talk about these things and it's in cheese. You, you've brought it up in previous podcasts and we had a, a, a guy that used to play for cheese who is now a, a psych. He just got his PhD in psych sports psychology. And uh, he talks about identity foreclosure <clears throat> and um, how kids really like they put their whole identity into their skill. So basically, you know, if they're an athlete, then, you know, I'm a soccer player, not a, and, and it's awesome to hear you talk about teaching high performance because that's really what your self identity is, right? You know, you're, you consider yourself a high performer and that's why you were able to do the things you did. And, um, I think that like you were talking about standing there for that, that giant match where you scored the winning goal, um, to go into the premier league and you're standing there and most people, you know, with your experience level and, and, and all that would have kind of, a lot of people would have shrunk in that moment. Right. And you just said to yourself, I deserve to be here. Like, it was just like, the moment isn't bigger than me. I deserve to be here. Um, you know, maybe talk a little bit about like what was going on in your head in that moment. And, um, you know, it sounds like it directly translates into what you're teaching kids now. Yeah. And, you know, I was privileged enough to, uh, to be asked to do a TED talk a couple of years ago. And, and, and it was, it was based on that whole subject. It was, and it's called, are you ready for your sunny day? And so the cool thing about speaking at TED is actually, again, they, they help choose you. And then you have to stand in front of them and talk about your life. And then they help you figure out this core message of one thing. Cause their whole idea at TED is one big idea to change the world. And so that's why it's 18 minutes. You don't have an hour and a half to talk about your life. It's what's your one big idea and how, is, how are we going to use that collectively to change the world and create a, a new concept. And so basically what they figured out through me was that my concept was in the moments of my sink or swim, in the moments of are you going to be in sunny day or light or, or, or dark days, in the moments we're supposed to pay, you know, buy insurance to prepare for failure, we can also prep enough for the, for the day that the sunny day comes out and you're ready to shine. And so those came down to like three or four moments within a 15 year career. But because I was and in those moments, I was able to succeed all of those moments, all four, all four of them from like going to university, changing positions, standing in that light and actually being that. OK, that's first one. I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to choose the, the, the sunny side of changing positions and your whole identity and testing your ego to be something that you're knowing you're not at the time. But I chose yes. And I chose to stand in that light. And that gave me my next sunny day. Same thing happens now you're pro. You get this opportunity to play for a thing. You sit in an attic for a year and a half, and all of a sudden you get thrust in this environment where your name's on a whiteboard that you're not ready for. But instead of it, you're, you're looking at the dark side of that moon. I'm going, I've been waiting for this for a year and a half. I can't wait to get out there and perform exactly know what I've been doing because I've been prepping for this my whole life. Name, you nail that. And okay, same thing happens when you go to Liverpool and you stand in front of playoff finals and you go, you have an opportunity to thrust yourself because you know you're this player. Are you going to do it? So that it happens like five times, six times in my career. But every time they still found that so interesting because of that perspective was that it was I wasn't focusing on the things that could go wrong. I, and again, there's a difference between not being aware of those things. That's the fundamental issue that is the difference maker. You have to be aware of those things. You have to prepare for them in a certain way. But are we putting enough time, energy approach to making sure that it goes right on that day? Our initial fear response goes, well, what happens if I've messed it up? 
what happens if I get this brand new job and I lose it? Okay, I'll probably think about some other job I could get, some other things, some other career that I can go to. That's it for this episode of Tales from the Trail. We're grateful that you took the time to listen and hope that you'll share it with others. Let me know what you thought about this episode or any others through matchplayrecruit.com. Underground.